Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Yeah, daylight savings time has begun. Woohoo! Let's stand together. I welcome you. We're glad that you're, you've joined us for worship this morning, and we're going to sing the mighty power of God. Let's sing that together. Sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the shines full at his command and all these stars obey I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food he formed the creatures with his word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how thy wonders are displayed where'er I turn my eye. If I survey the ground I tread or gaze upon the sky. There's not a plant or flower below But makes thy glories known And clouds arise and tempests blow By order from thy throne While all that borrows life from thee Is ever in thy care And everywhere that man can be Thou, God, art present there. While all that borrows life from Thee is ever in Thy care, and everywhere that man can be, Thou, God, art present there. Amen. I believe in the sun, I believe in the risen one, I believe I overcome by the power of his blood, amen, amen, I'm alive, I'm alive because he lives amen amen let the song join the one that never ends because he lives i 
was dead in the grave. I was covered in sin and shame. I heard mercy call my name. He rolled the stone away. Because he lives, amen, amen. Let my song join the one that never ends. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, every fear is gone. I know he stands my life my future in his hand. Amen. Amen. I'm alive. I'm alive because he lives. Amen. Amen. Let my song join the one that never ends. Amen. Because he lives, amen, amen. Let my song join the one that never ends. Because he lives, because he lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I'm just so delighted that you live and you live in my heart. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here today. As, as Father, we come and we gather together to worship you. Father, I just pray you'll turn our hearts and our minds to you today. Father, we come with all kinds of things, things that happened this morning, things that happened throughout the week, our worries, Father, our fears. And we want to just surrender them all at your feet. Father, we love you. Father, help us know how to love you better. Help us know how to worship you as you deserve to be worshipped today. Father, I just love you. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. Well, y'all may be seated for a moment. Delighted that you're here with us at UBC today. I see a lot of familiar faces, and then I see some new friends that have joined us this morning, and we are just delighted that you chose to come here to be with us at University Baptist Church. And if you are one of our guests, we ask uh, in our worship guide, there is a perforated section, and we would love to capture your name, how to communicate with you. If you, would not, if you wouldn't mind filling that out and dropping it in the offering when it comes around. And then also, if you have any prayer requests, things that we can be praying and lifting up to the Lord for you, if you would put those on there also, we would be just delighted. And then we have uh, Kevin Lentz is going to be doing our children's um, worship this morning up here, our, our story. So if children, if y'all would like to come on up and if y'all would stand and greet some face that you don't know, 
this morning. Find somebody you don't know and those that you do know and just welcome them and ask them just to uh, uh, just be your friend today. So we're just delighted you're here. Thank you. Stand and lift up our hands For the joy of the Lord is our strength We bow down and worship Him now How great, how awesome is He And together we sing Everyone sing Holy is the Lord, God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. Holy is the Lord, God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. The earth is filled with His glory. It is rising up all around. It's the anthem of the Lord's renown. It's rising up all around. It's the anthem of the Lord's renown. And together we see everyone. filled with His glory. Holy is the Lord, God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. The earth is filled with His glory. The earth is filled with His glory. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. I am not Miss Caroline. Surprise. Do you know where she is? The, you, where is she? Well, you know. Where is she? She's gone. She went to Chicago. The teenagers are gone too. They have gone all the way up to Chicago to work and tell people about Jesus. It's going to be fun. But here's what I need for you to do today. You ready? I need you to get your brains ready and get your fingers ready. When I think about the people that are in my family, I can count them. One, two, 
Three, me, Miss April, Peter. So here's what I want you to do on your fingers. Think in your brain and count on your fingers and show me how many people are in your family. There's four. No, no, don't tell me. Just show me. Four, four, five, five, three, four, four. And when I say in your family, I mean like in your house. Six, seven. Does anybody need extra hands? Do you have more than 10 people in your house? Okay, put them down. Now think about family you have that doesn't live in your house. Grandparents, cousins, things like that. Now show me that many fingers. Yeah, that you're going to need lots of friends to help. That's way too... Well, that's a lot of people. Okay, put them down. For this, you only need one finger. It's your thumb. I'm going to call out a family member, and I want you to give me a thumbs up if you have that family member. And here's how you do it. I'll, I'll call out. If you have a sister, give me a thumbs up. Thank you. I didn't put my thumb up because I don't have a sister. Okay, put them down. If you have a brother. I got a brother. Thanks, put them down. If you have a mom. A mom. Put them down. If you have a dad. These are the easy ones. Okay, put them down. If you have a grandmother. If you have a grandfather. I don't have a grandfather. If you have an, uh, an aunt. If you have an uncle. If you have cousins, if you have a stepbrother, if you have a stepsister, if you, nephew, if you have a nephew, yeah. you have a nephew? Impressive. I have, if you have a niece, I have a niece. All right, put them down. Great. In the Bible, the Bible starts at the very, very beginning after God has created all this stuff. It starts with God's plan for families. Somebody tell me the first family. Who's in the Bible? Just tell me. Who? Just tell me. Jesus. First family in the Bible. Start earlier. Adam, Eve, who else? Cain, Abel. And even when you start at that story, stuff kind of starts to get bad. God has a plan for families, but sometimes families don't do what they're supposed to do. And the pastor today is going to talk about families, and the Bible has not only families, but rules for families. How families are supposed to act. How husbands and wives are supposed to act. How children are supposed to act. How parents are supposed to act. Those rules for families are in the Bible, and that's good news. I want to pray real quick, and I want to thank God for families, and then you can go back and sit with, you know, your family. God, we thank you so much for families. We thank you that you made this plan, and you've given us guidance and rules on how to have good families. Help us to always be obedient and faithful to you. Amen.
Let's stand together as we sing Holy, Holy, Holy. It's your breath 
in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. You give life. You are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. Shout your praise, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. And all the earth will shout your praise, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. We pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. So we pour out our praise to you only. Now, one of the reasons that song is so meaningful for us this morning is that it helps focus our hearts, focus our souls and our minds as to why we're here, right? That, that we gather here today to praise our one and only God and King, because there is none like Him, right? He gives us life. He gives us breath, and He brings light to the darkest situations, so we can stand and see that all creation waits to sing out and to declare 
his praise. And so our hearts will cry, our bones will sing, great is the Lord. What a powerful truth that reminds us to why we're here. And, and that's not an, a truth that we just surrender once we're done singing and we sit down. That's a, that's a sentiment that we want to carry through our entire moment this morning and into our entire day and into our entire week, right? That we don't stop praising God with the proclamation of his word, but we just continue to acknowledge his greatness and who he is. And so would you bow your heads in prayer and let's seek to continue that spirit of praise this morning. Father, we love you. So we do, we praise you. Father, you, you give us love, you give us hope, you restore all that is broken. And so we can come together this morning and acknowledge your greatness, your supremacy. Father, we pour out our praise to you and to you alone. So Father, we need your spirit in our midst. Father, guide me as we have the chance to open up your word. Let us be faithful to the things that you want us to know and to see so that we may all leave here transformed today. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, good morning. How is everyone? Hey, spring break and spring forward. Good job, okay? If you're here, you wanted it today, okay? And I appreciate it. Uh, I, don't, I can't verify if you actually get extra credit or anything like that in heaven, but if you do, you probably all are qualified for it after today. Uh, we, we have a lot going on here, and believe it or not, we're actually getting fairly close to wrapping up this series on these key convictions, right, that we've been walking through this journey for quite some time. We have about two more weeks. Uh, after this Sunday, we have two more Sundays, and that will pretty much complete that journey. And so let me remind you a little bit of what we've been trying to accomplish that these convictions we've been walking through are the things that we hope will shape the culture and the vision of this church. That we are first and foremost going to be gospel-centered. Everything we do is going to be measured against the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. And we're going to be biblically guided, right? We're going to cling to the authority of the scriptures. We're going to see them as authoritative even when it hurts, even when it's unpopular. We're going to be guided by the scriptures. We're going to be prayer-driven, Right, with an emphasis on fasting, we're going to be able to come together and be known as a church that knows how to pray. We're going to see it as the greater work before we do anything else. We're going to be discipleship focused. We actually spent quite a bit of time working through that one because we wanted to understand how discipleship shapes our identity, how it shapes the work that we've been called to, that we are to be disciples who make disciples, right? no matter where the Lord sends us. But what we see is that the goal is not that we would just gather and grow in some sort of knowledge or in some sort of study. What we want to see is that we want to ignite a movement. Right? We want to see thousands baptized, hundreds of churches planted. That's the goal. And that's why we're going to be focused on discipleship. But we want to give that focus meaning. We want to give it significance. We want to find inspiration and encouragement. And so we're going to be a church that seeks to foster a true spirit of worship. We talked last week that that's more than just music, right? That's an act of service and submission to God. Whether we gather together or we scatter throughout our week, we want to worship God in a true spirit of all that it entails. Now, in a couple of weeks, here's where we're headed. Next week, we're going to talk about the importance of giving, everyone's favorite subject, right? So get ready for that one. Uh, but it should be meaningful, an opportunity for us to give consideration to how the gospel influences our response in giving. And then we're going to close this series with attention towards community and love. And, and that, to me, I would say, is probably one of the most important ones that we will discuss through the whole series. But today, 
We're going to continue this discussion. We want to be known as a church that acknowledges the family valued, right? Where a family is valued. Now, notice I'm not saying family values, and that's by design. Because today's sermon is not necessarily an opportunity for us to come and give consideration to the values that should shape our family, though that will be part of the discussion. What I'm really trying to suggest to you is that this is going to be a church where we are going to value the family, right? That that families can come here and be loved on and encouraged and supported, right? That we're going to value God's design for the family. Now, here's a couple of disclaimers as we begin this topic this morning. Anytime you have a discussion on family, it's, it's a pretty comprehensive and complex term, isn't it? Because there are so many different lenses and angles in which we understand family. Now, because of some current events and, and, and current topics and culture, what I sense happening is that more often than not, churches begin to really focus on the understanding of family by emphasizing marriage, right? And we kind of reduce our understanding of family by simply looking at marriage. And now, hear me, marriage is incredibly important, and I have a strong conviction on the biblical sanctity of marriage, but that's not today's message, because family is so much more than that, and, and and while we want to emphasize marriage, we don't want to overemphasize it and neglect the fact that Jesus himself never married, uh, Paul never married, right? That there's more to family than just marriage. Yes, it's husbands and wives, but it's uh, mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, uh, sons and daughters, and everything else in between. So it's a complex topic, and we don't have time to work through each angle and each lens this morning. We can't work through all those different perspectives. So what I'm hoping to do is to have kind of a high-level view so that no matter what uh, role you play in family, it can be meaningful to you today. And, and we can see how, how the family can flourish with the gospel. That's, that's really kind of the main point of the message, that the gospel can flourish in and through the family. And so how do we seek to make that happen? Now, when, whenever we begin to define family and we begin to try to describe it, there, there's a lot of different terms, a lot of different descriptions that we could offer. It, the one that I kept coming back to this past week is that it's, it's unpredictable, right? I mean, think about how you got your family. You didn't have a whole lot of say in the matter, did you? It's pretty unpredictable. You didn't have a chance to choose your parents, whether you have parents or not. You didn't have a chance to choose your children whether you have children or not. Even though we have an element of choice with the person we may or may not marry, even that is fairly unpredictable, isn't it? And yet here we have these relationships that are so important and they're so unpredictable, and yet it's the family that tends to have the greatest influence on how it is that we will navigate through the unpredictable elements of life. Because life is unpredictable, isn't it? All these twists and turns that come our way, and it's family that helps us navigate those or influences how we will navigate those. And that's kind of what we want to discuss today is how do we manage the unpredictable elements of life in a manner that allows the gospel to flourish in and through the family? Now, I was thinking about the the essence of unpredictability, and it reminded me uh, of one particular story, surprise, surprise, uh, where, where I was thinking back, and it occurred in October of 2012. And I remember it being specifically around that time frame because Annabelle was just a couple of months old. And I remember it occurred on a Wednesday. And I know it was a Wednesday because I had a regularly scheduled church meeting that I had to go to that night. And so uh, I remember that anytime I had meetings in the evening, I often tried to get away a little bit earlier so I could go home, spend some time with my family, have an early dinner with my kids, and then go back to the meeting. And so I had left, and the predictable nature of the, of the evening would have been just that. Meet up with the family, 
have dinner, go back to work, call it a day. Okay, that's what I expected. So I arrive at home, and Jennifer gets there around the same time. I think she had been out with the kids for a couple of hours running some errands. And so we walk into the house, and, and I go to the kitchen, and she walks to the other part of the house. And this is the first clue of the unpredictable nature of the events. Because as I'm standing in the kitchen, she calls out to me, and she says, Oh, Jared, the hallway is soaked. Now, that was an unpredictable comment, okay? And so I start to comprehend what it is exactly that she's saying, and I start thinking, okay, well, what do we mean by soaked? Did the dog not get let out in time? Did a kid spill, uh, you know, some water or something? What do we really mean here? But the urgency in the tone of her voice let me know that it was more than just your typical accident. And so I joined her in the hallway and saw exactly what she meant as there was uh, water completely covering our entire hallway. And as I began to kind of assess the situation, I looked in the bathroom, there was at least an inch to two inches of water in our bathroom as well. And I stepped even further away and noticed that water was actually seeping through the walls into our living room and into the playroom. And actually, as I made our way out to the master bedroom or master bathroom, it was covered in water as well. So it was soaked for sure, okay? Flood was probably a better definition. And so I'm immediately trying to assess the situation and, and try to figure out how I'm going to fix it. And I will admit to you that even in that early moment, I, I don't think I really understood the gravity of what had just transpired. So I'm thinking, okay, call a plumber, call a carpet cleaner. We'll get this thing wrapped up in a couple hours. No big deal, right? It's gross, but we can handle it. And so I get on the phone, call the plumber. I describe to them the situation. And that's the first time I hear the words water mitigation company. And that, to me, I had never really heard before, but it sounded a little bit more serious than carpet cleaning. And so they explained that they'd be coming out with a water mitigation company. And, and so the plumber shows up, you know, they assess the situation, and sure, nothing's flooded anymore, it's all been uh, cleared, and everything's fine, and so they leave. And then the water mitigation company shows up. Now, when these guys show up, they're like one step below a hazmat suit, okay? And so they've got the shoes, they've got the gloves, they've got the mask on, and that's when I start to anticipate, this is a little bit more serious than maybe what I imagined. So they begin to, to survey the area and assess the damage, okay, and kind of take a look at some things. And, and he makes his way back over to me after a while, and he starts using words like contaminated and, you know, unhealthy and all these different things and explains, yeah, in order for us to really get this rectified, we're, we're going to have to rip out all your carpet. Uh, we're going to have to do some major treatment here in the bathroom. In fact, everywhere that the water touched on the wall, we're probably just going to have to cut out the six inches here above the wall in order to get it cleaned as well. So as he's describing cutting up my wall, it really begins to sink into me, you know, all that is going to take place. And so I look at him and I say, well, like, how long are we talking about here? And he goes, oh, man, we're going to be treating this at, at least until 11 o'clock tonight. I mean, you, you're going to have to gather some things and stay somewhere else. Now, as he delivers that message to me, and I'm trying to process what that really means, I'm also trying to process how I communicate that to my wife, right? That all of a sudden, when you have a two-year-old and a newborn, you don't just grab some things and just move somewhere for the evening, okay? That's quite the endeavor. And so we begin to ha have a little bit of a stressful conversation, figuring out what all is going to take place but get it resolved, find a family friend that allows us to stay there, and we, we kind of relocate for the evening. And the plan is the next day to come back and really meet with a representative from the mitigation company as well as a representative from the insurance agency to figure out the scope of work and all that's going to be uh, taking place. So a very unpredictable nature is unfolding. So I show up the next day, and, and I meet with the mitigation company, and they, they walk us around, and they explain it. They're like, yeah, you've got to completely replace these carpets, 
Uh, we're gonna have to rip out the tile in your bathroom, probably gonna need to get new tubs, new toilets, and in fact, everywhere the water touched on your wood floors, since your wood floors are continuous, you have to get all new wood floors. Now, I'm not gonna lie, there was part of me that was like, this is kinda cool, you know, a little home renovation project, not the way I was anticipating it, but not too bad. And so it was a pretty extensive uh, work. And so naturally, my question was again the same. How long do you think this will take? And so he kind of shrugged his shoulders, looked around and said, I don't know, a week or two? So how many of you out there today really believe that that only took about a week or two to get covered, right? Now I was a little naive in the moment, kind of optimistic. Well, maybe they really know what they're doing and this won't take too long, okay? So I kind of bought into it. But, but once I saw you know, the extended amount of time I was gonna have to spend away from home, I turned to the insurance agent and I asked him a question. Now, understand the context in which I asked this question, okay? I've got carpets ripped out of my house. The hole has been cut at the bottom. Nails are exposed. Wires are hanging out. We just had a discussion of ripping up my bathroom and all the wood floors. And so I turned to him and I say, hey, so we don't have any family in town. I mean, we're, we're gonna have to stay in a hotel. I, I would imagine that that's covered by the insurance, correct? And he, he looks at me and he says, well, you know, I don't know. That, that usually is contingent upon whether or not the residence is deemed to be livable. And I'm not sure that that qualifies here. And when he said that, like, I was, I'm looking for the cameras. You know, I'm like, all right, that's good, man. That's funny, right? No, you're, you're joking with me, right? And then I realized he wasn't. And then I had like the impulse of anger to where I wanted to just slap him for a little bit. Realized that wasn't a good Christian response either. And so I finally just began to have the conversation. I was like, Hey, can I reintroduce you to the fact that I have a newborn and a two-year-old? And in case you were wondering, nails and hanging wires, that's not really baby-proof, okay? And so we need to go somewhere else. And so he finally agreed, and we began to make our move uh, to the hotel. And, and Jennifer and I, our approach was, hey, let's, let's roll with it. Let's adapt, okay? Let's make it fun. The more we're stressed out, the more our kids will be stressed out. So let's, let's have fun with it. So... We settled in at the Residence Inn in South Arlington. It had its perks. It's kind of cool that every day somebody knocked on our door and asked to clean our room. That's kind of neat. Uh, every morning, got to have waffles. You know, not just any waffle. Waffles in the shape of Texas. Pretty neat. And so, you know, we had some fun in the Residence Inn. But as you might expect, two weeks kind of drifted into Halloween. Then we got on the other side of Halloween, drifted into Thanksgiving. Then we got on the other side of Thanksgiving, we started drifting into December. Now, I don't care who you are, at some point, those waffles get stale, okay? I mean, it, it, you, you get worn out of having somebody knock on your door. And so we had reached the point of no return. We were desperate to be brought out of that situation. We wanted to be back home. And so I had a certain level of resolve to communicate that message. And so I called the mitigation company, and I was pretty determined. I, I was either going to lead someone to Jesus or send somebody to Jesus, but one way or another... <laughs> I was getting back in my home before Christmas, okay? So I let that be known, and sure enough, we got back in our house by December 21st, okay? Now, it was too late, right? I mean, we, we couldn't get trees up. We didn't get decorations going. We didn't get lights out, but we didn't care. We were home, and that was all that really mattered. And, and I think back on that situation, that season, and, and how the unpredictable turn of events led us through all these different circumstances to where we were just desperate to be brought out of that one situation so that we could be back home. And, and that, to me, is kind of the progression that I want us to be clinging to this morning, right? That the whole story of redemption, God's activity in our lives, is that when we encounter these unpredictable moments, that what he does is he brings us out Right? He, he takes us out of a situation so he can bring us into another one. It's a beautiful journey. It's a beautiful 
act of redemption that we need to keep in mind. And it's one that is going to hopefully help us understand how the family can respond to those unpredictable moments so that the gospel can flourish in the family and through the family. So if you have your Bibles, let's consider that question today by turning to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, whenever you have an opportunity to discuss the importance of family, there's multiple scriptures we could consider, correct? I mean, you see it emphasized time and time again. Uh, You can turn to the book of Joshua in, in the Old Testament, and you see when he says, consider for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether that's the God of your ancestors on the other side of the Euphrates, or that's the gods of of the the Amorites in which the land in which you are now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a beautiful declaration of a family serving God in any sort of circumstance. You, You can go to the pages of Acts and see that when the early church is ignited across the course of human history, time and time again, when somebody believes, it's the first meaning or it's the first indication of not just that person believing, but them and their entire household. And how the gospel swept through families, not just individuals. Uh, You look at Paul in his writings. One of the things that Paul does is he tends to have this formula. He he has a progression. He'll write a church and he'll talk to them about whatever needs, whatever issues they're facing. And then he reminds them of the gospel. And then he explains to them how the gospel has transformed him and how it should transform them. And then he often addresses families. So wives live in this way. Husbands live in this way. Mothers, fathers, children. And he begins to work through the family construct. And what we see from the old to the new is that the family is a valuable part of God's design. And it is a beautiful vehicle for the gospel to flourish in it and through it. Okay, so there are many different scriptures that we could look at, but I kept coming back to Deuteronomy 6. And and I want to work through it in somewhat of a progression today. A couple different sections, okay? So let's look at the first part of of Deuteronomy chapter 6, picking up in verse 1, with all these things in mind in terms of the value of the family. It says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing to the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your ancestors promised you. Okay, here's the backdrop to today's discussion. The first thing that I want us to be reminded of is that our God is a covenantal God. And one of the chief characteristics of that covenant, that he is a God of promises, is the land. This is a key theme throughout Scripture. In fact, I believe it's it's mentioned more than 2,400 times in the Old Testament alone. Now, sometimes that might be translated more as earth in kind of a cosmological sense. But more often than not, land is referred to these boundaries, these territories that help establish and identify a nation. And so what God is doing is he's he's calling out a people, right? He's choosing for himself a nation. He's establishing a kingdom, and he's extended that initially through the call of Abraham, Right? I'm going to make you into a great nation, so go to the land that I will show you. And so, so much of the story of God's people is a longing for and an anticipation of being established in the land. Now, interestingly enough, throughout the bulk of the scriptures, God's people tend to only inhabit that land for brief moments. That most of their journey is dictated by captivity or exile. 
And so much of their longing for the promises of God fixates on the idea of them getting this land. But make no mistake, it's one of the chief characteristics of God's covenant and God's promise. Now, it's not just the land, it's the fact that we get to possess the land. Now, the word possess here has the idea of an inheritance, right? That we are heirs to this covenant, heirs to this promise. And so it gets us to see that this is something that he is going to entrust to us, this kingdom that he's building. But there's something significant about it when we think about how it unfolds for the people of Israel. That it's not like God's just giving them vacant pieces of land to go live. It's not like God's a real estate agent and he's taking them to the corners of the earth and saying, well, this one's empty. This looks pretty good. Four bedroom, three bath, pool in the backyard. What do you think? You guys want to live here? You know, it's, it's not that sort of journey. He's got a specific destination in mind. And he takes them on this journey and, and there are people, nations, obstacles, trials that await them. Right? That many times in order for them to possess the land, they were going to have to go to battle. They were going to have to go to war. Right? There was going to be obstacles in front of them. And this reveals a unique characteristic of God. Right? That yes, he's a God of promises. He's a God of covenant. He has this kingdom that is waiting for us, but we must meet him halfway and be ready for battle. We need to trust him. He's saying, I'm going to deliver it into your hands. And time and time again, the people of God would show up and see these enemies that were far greater, that they would outnumber them, that would be more superior, but they had to have the faith that God would in fact deliver them in those moments. It's a great picture of how it is that we respond to God's promises. We we don't just get to sit back and wait for him to do everything on his own. We have to join him in that journey of faith and reveal that we too are ready for battle, that we are willing to face those foes and those enemies. It's a gesture of faith. It's a gesture of trust, which is why another component we see here in the beginning parts of this passage is that when we inherit this land, it is so that we might fear the Lord. And it's not this fear of fright and terror. It's one of reverence and awe. One that sees him for the greatness that he holds, sees him for who he is, that he's the one that can deliver us from all things. And so we want to have this covenant experience. We want to live in this posture of fear, and we do so by keeping his commands. That word keeping means exercise great care over, pay careful attention to, So what we're saying here is that God is saying, listen, all these things that I have in store for you, all these commands, pay attention to them. Don't take it lightly. And that's a good word for you and me, right? That so many times we respond to the promises of God and the covenant of God by just giving casual consideration to it, right? And we go through the motions and we have this casual form of Christianity where we show up to church here and there, we give consideration here and there. And what he's saying is, no, give careful consideration in every area of life. These things matter. These commands, these decrees are significant. So this serves as the context for what we are going to see unfold in the next section of this chapter. Picking it back up then in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. <clears throat> so this is the section then that begins to reveal to us the importance of family. 
And so he reveals the essence of these commands, right? Jesus himself is going to highlight this passage. When he's asked, so all the commandments, which one's the greatest? Which one do we need to pay attention to more than any other? And Jesus responds to that question and says, well, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. This is the greatest commandment. And so we have this foundational declaration of the love of God that serves as the undercurrent to families. Now what we see in Deuteronomy 6 is that that command is best identified and begins to reveal itself through the process of a family. Now we have the emphasis of children here, but again, as I said earlier, I I want us to consider it from every angle and every lens that, that is influenced with family. Okay, so it starts out by saying, impress this upon your children. Now that word impress it means to teach by repetition, to say it over and over and over again, right? And so there's this understanding that there's going to be a consistent repetitive nature to understanding the command of loving God. But here's another part of this word that's very significant. It's not just about teaching through repetition, but understanding that it is preparing you for a future action. I love that. It's not enough just to memorize what God has said that it's actually preparing us to respond. It's this idea that the kingdom isn't going to just fall in our laps, but we actually get to help usher it in. He's preparing us for action. So impress these things upon your children. See, when we gather together as a family, we need to be reminded not just of the values we have and the love that we have in God, we need to be reminded that God has called us to a purpose. And that purpose is that we belong to his greater kingdom. In the family context, the family dynamic should be one of the central places where we are consistently reminded of that fact. So what does that look like? Well, there are two things that I think we can consider this morning with the rest of this particular paragraph. Right? He says, talk about it. You know, when you walk along the road, when you stay at home, when you sit, when you rise, when you lay down, talk about it. Spend your time discussing these things. See, I I read that comprehensive description there, and what it tells me is that we should be able to experience the truth of the love of God no matter what season or what circumstance or what unpredictable factor may present itself to us. And so what we do when we spend time as a family, when we go through the twists and turns of life, we give great consideration to the commands and the decrees that he has given us. We give great consideration to that our God is a God of promises, right? That we need to figure out what does it mean to fear him and trust him no matter what obstacles we face. So we talk about it. And there's a lot of practical ways to, to really integrate that. But let me just give you one this morning. Practical lesson for families. Put down your phone. Seriously. Turn off the computer. Turn off the TV. Spend time with each other. And if we don't do that, then we have no chance of having the gospel truly flourish within our homes. And so we'll, we'll run this race of life and, and we'll encounter all these unpredictable elements really on our own. We'll, we'll, we'll encounter these things at work. We'll encounter these things at home, in our neighborhood, or wherever it unfolds. And because we don't stop and actually talk about our faith and talk about God, we have missed multiple opportunities to have the gospel refined and flourished within our homes. So talk about it. Be intentional. It matters. Now, in addition to that, 
It's not just something that is evident within our family. Right? I love the way that this paragraph ends. Write these commands on the door frames of your houses and on your city gates. I love that. Now, obviously, this is <clears throat> metaphorical in its, in its reference here. The door frames of the houses is referring to the Passover and, and the great act and, and redemption that took place there. But, but there's also something to be said that what he's saying here is that your faith as a family needs to be evident to the community around you. You think about a door frame of your house, right? That, that's going to be evident to the surrounding community. So I was thinking about that, and, and it made me stop and, and give some consideration to, to how do our families impact the neighborhoods that we're in? That's something I want us to wrestle with this morning. Uh, I wrestled with this a couple years ago. I remember driving home from work one day, <clears throat> and I was just kind of bothered bothered by the fact that, that most of my interactions were with people at church. And I loved, I loved those interactions. Great people, meaningful people. But I was surrounded by active churchgoers. And I remember thinking, God, there's, there's got to be more, right? There, I, I need to be making a difference in other arenas. I want to be intentional. And it hit me that God had entrusted that particular neighborhood to my family. And, and so I started asking myself these questions that I want to ask you today because they begin to shift my focus and my understanding of what God was trying to do. So think about where you live. And here's my question. <clears throat> if you moved tomorrow, who would notice? And what would they notice? What would they say? Oh, well, that family moved away. Oh, oh what's his name is, is no longer there. Hey, there's a new house available. What would they notice? What kind of impact have we had on our neighborhoods? Uh, I started thinking, do I even know the names and the stories of the people that live around me? And I didn't. And I started thinking, man, all these people have been entrusted to, to this family. That we have an opportunity to allow the gospel not just to flourish in us, but through us and to make a difference in this community. See, our faith needs to be evident. It's not meant to be concealed. It's not meant to be kept in private. We need to put it on the door frames of our houses so that people can see who we are and that we can leave an impact for the gospel. You know, the city gate was, was a critical part of, of life for people at that point in time. Right? This is where you went to engage in business and in social activities and all sorts of interchanges with your fellow people. It was the city marker. All right? and, and I think in some respects... We need to understand not just the impact that we can have on our neighbors, but on our community as a whole. Right? What are the needs of our community? What are the needs of a particular city that God has entrusted to us? And if we really made a difference, we could, we could extend that question to us as a church, as a church family. If we had to shut our doors down tomorrow, <clears throat> who would notice? And what would they notice? <clears throat> what would they say? Oh, good. Nice piece of real estate's open. What would they think? See, our faith has to be evident. It's not enough just for it to flourish <clears throat> in our families, but through them as well. Now, with all that said, with that being the goal, let's give some consideration to the word of warning. So here, the passage continues. I need to read a little bit of a longer section here. But this is where we get a word of caution. So when the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you, a land with large flourishing cities you did not build, 
Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on an oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord said. Okay, this is, this is something that we need to give consideration to this morning. So he, he acknowledges this tendency, this progression, right? That, that all of a sudden, we're going to inherit this land and we're going to have cities we didn't build. Homes filled with goods that we didn't purchase, that we didn't provide. We're going to have wells we didn't dig, olive gardens and vineyards and all these different things that we didn't plant. And we're going to eat and be satisfied. And he says, be careful that you don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. That's an important word. Okay, that what we have is a risk to begin to lose that sense of humility, to lose that sense of fear and understanding of who God is, and then we forget him. Now, the word forget there is more than just we, we lose consciousness of him, that we can't recall what has happened. It's an active word of disobedience. It's a statement to say we're going to ignore his commands. We're going to go another way, right? We're going to choose to follow these other gods. We're going to put him to the test. When we rob ourselves then of that relationship, we lose that fear, we lose that reverence, and now our lives begin to be that of timidity and concern rather than that of confidence. And so this progression begins to happen and we lose sight of the Lord. So ultimately what we have then, when we forget God, let me bring it into a contemporary setting. A, a word that we might use in a contemporary context would be secularization. What happens when God is taken out of the family? Right? When, when all of a sudden his design and his purposes begin to look a little bit different. What transpires? Well, I think this is something we need to give great consideration to. There's a book uh, written by Mary Eberstadt that was called How the West Really Lost God. I read it a couple years ago and it had a great premise, right? That, that the idea of secularization, this idea that, that we tend to lose sight of who God is, uh, the, the typical story is this, right? That uh, many, many years ago, mankind didn't have the answers, the technology, the science that they needed to understand this world around them. And so religion filled the void. They asked their questions, they sought their truths, and so they came up with these fictional stories to give them peace of mind. But over time, enlightenment dawned, right? Reason came about, and it began to explain away the myths of religion. And now we can see much more clearly how these things work, making religion less and less necessary, and this is what gives rise to secularization. That, that's the narrative that most people would try to advocate for and believe. But what Eberstadt does is she puts a twist on it. And she says, what really has given rise to secularization is not the dawn of reason, but the demise of the family. So she begins to describe the family, I'm paraphrasing obviously, that the family was the hub of so many valuable elements of existence. Uh, you, could, you could go there for uh, economic stability. Your, your children could be educated in the family. The elderly could be cared for in the family. You could find purpose and meaning and significance. But over time, all those different values began to be diminished from the family. 
you could work somewhere else. Kids could be educated somewhere else. We could ship elderly off to nursing homes. We could have all these different elements that begin to create a demise towards the family. And one of those that I at least need to mention this morning, somewhat respectfully and cautiously, is the sexual revolution of the 60s in particular. Right, that all of a sudden, this, this desire for intimacy and experience went beyond just the idea of how that can help reproduce and create family, but was an individual expression and experience that you could pursue however you wanted. And so all these things began to whittle away at the family, and as the family diminished, her argument is that's what gave secularization a foothold, that families are what give us a strengthening in society, and as soon as you weaken family, society falls along with it. So there are several statistics to back this up. I have several of them with me today that can acknowledge the struggles that we have in family. Here's one trend that we must acknowledge. That in 1960, around 71% of of children that were born in that particular age were born in a family that had a, a mom and a dad in their first marriage. But in 1980, those numbers fell to about 63%. And today, it's at 46%. So more than half of the people born today are not born in a traditional family setting of a mom and dad in a first marriage. They're born into some level of, can I say it, brokenness. Single parent, uh, divorced, widowed, whatever it is. Some level of brokenness. And so we have a, a different picture of family that people are being born in today. And as a result, certain destruction, certain challenges, certain obstacles are, are permeating uh, our society. And so notice the common denominator. Here are some statistics. These come from a number of different sources. I can give them to you later. For the sake of time, I'm just going to read it. A lot of them are uh, the CDC, U.S. Department of Home Health Security, uh, Department of Justice, things like that. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts from fatherless homes. 75% of adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists motivated with displaced anger from fatherless homes. 85% of youth sitting in prisons from fatherless homes. So you have the rise of crime, assault, addiction, behavioral disorders, and one of the common threads is a broken family that's behind it. You look at child abuse. CDC has acknowledged that some studies that go beyond just the CPS numbers would indicate that one in five adults were abused in their childhood. And that when you go through that abuse, the stress and the anxiety that it produces truly diminishes your overall health, your overall mentality. It creates all these different disorders and struggles. And so we have abuse that's on a high level. Uh, Suicide is now the second leading cause of death in children or in, in individuals aging from the range of 10 to 34. And, and you look at those leading causes and you look at that despair and listen to what the CDC says about this. How do you prevent people from getting to that point? It says uh, that the number one way to prevent it would be to create supportive environments that promote healthy and empowered individuals and families and communities. Young children experience their world through their relationships with parents and other caregivers. So promoting safe, stable, nurturing relationships and environments can have a positive impact on a broad range of health problems and on the development of skills that will help children reach their full potential. That's the CDC, not the Bible. And yet even they have acknowledged, you want to address these things? Care about family. 
That's where it takes place. See, here's the conviction. Here's what stirred me to include this as part of the series. I look through the pages of Scripture and I see that the family is one of God's beautiful designs. That it is one of his chief ideas of how the gospel can flourish in it and through it. That when a, when a family truly responds to the gospel, that is one of the greatest and safest places to go to discover the love of God and to see it played out time and time again. And when a family does that, it becomes one of the most effective vehicles to communicate to this world the power of the gospel. And so because it is so important, it's my conviction that it is under a complete assault from the deeds of darkness. Because the more that the devil can get the family to crumble, the more successful he is at preventing the gospel from flourishing. And so what we need today is a voice to rise up and say, family will be valued. We're going to fight for families. We're going to cling to them. We're going to strengthen them. They're going to be restored. They're going to be seen as important because we believe the gospel can flourish in them and through them. And that's who we're going to be as a church. And so let me close us with this. Let's look at that last paragraph and give great consideration to how we can maintain that motivation. So it finishes in this way. In the future, when your son asks you, What is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws that Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord set signs and wonders great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on an oath to our ancestors. I love it. In this final chapter, this final paragraph in this chapter. The question is, so, so what's the meaning to this? Why live in such a way? Why care about these laws and these decrees? Why, why am I following in such a way? Why are you teaching me these things? And the answer is to not forget who God is. That God has brought us out so that he can bring us in. It's a reminder of the redemptive qualities of God. That he is a God who redeems and restores all things, that no matter what unpredictable situations we find in life, we can trust him to bring us out of those situations to bring us into his kingdom. And we can best do that and navigate those things through the strength of a family. And so here's my question for you. What do you face? When you think about your family today, what do you carry? What are those needs? So for many of you, it is brokenness. It's it's the lingering results of a divorce. It's the grief of losing a loved one. It's the question of sexuality. It's the confusion of where you came from, having to carry the label of an orphan, not knowing who your dad is, not knowing who your mom is, struggling through all different elements and unpredictable elements that you never chose. So what is it for you? What family burdens do you carry? Can I tell you the main word that I believe the Lord has for you today is that no matter what obstacles you face, no matter what unpredictable elements you may encounter, no matter what enemies he's calling you to war against, he can deliver you from all of it. He wants to bring you out of it so that he can bring you in to his kingdom. Let us remember who our God is. 
He is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who has been calling all of his people to inherit this land from the beginning of time. So let us pour out our praise and declare with all creation that our God is great. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Father, we acknowledge that today we need you. Father, I can only think about and anticipate the different family dynamics that are here this morning, the different burdens they carry, the different concerns that they face. And I pray that you'd bring them out. God, that you would restore them. You'd prove yourself faithful once again. And Father, that you would allow this to be a church where people can come hurting, they can come broken, and those wounds can be healed. Reconciliation can be pursued. Redemption can be found. And we can see and marvel that once again how your good news, your redemptive work, your gospel can flourish in the family and through the family to the praise of your great name. We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So with that being said, let me extend a word of invitation. <clears throat> As is often the case, if you would like to make any sort of public confession today, if you want to join the church, then we want to celebrate that decision with you. Uh, if you've never had the chance to truly acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then by all means, let's do that together today and celebrate what God is doing in your life. If you need prayer, come forward. I'd be happy to pray with you or, or one of the other ministers will as well. But whatever God is prompting you to do, let's respond in a spirit of obedience and faith. Let's stand together during the song of invitation. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of man? Oh, you rescue the souls of man. Counselor, Comforter, Keeper, Spirit we long to embrace. You offer hope when our hearts have hopelessly lost our way. Oh, we've hopelessly lost our way. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace our hearts always hunger for. Oh, we're falling. 
kneeling before your throne. You are the one that we praise. You are the one we adore. You give the healing and grace. Our hearts always hunger for. Oh, our hearts always hunger for You are the one that we praise You are the one we adore You give the healing and grace Our hearts always hunger for I'm going to ask the congregation to be seated. I've got a couple of announcements to make, and then we've got a cool little potential video we're going to show you. And then after that, uh, I'm going to come up and share with some of the decisions that just took place. And so just a couple reminders. It's spring break, and so no activities here on Wednesday night. You're more than welcome to come, but you'll be alone, okay? And so uh, we're shutting the place down. Enjoy the break. Spend some time with your family. Uh, But we wanted to make sure that you're aware of that. In, in addition to that, I also would remind you to continue to pray for uh, the nominating committee and the personnel committee as we continue our search for a new uh, worship minister, position of, of worship and music. And so again, always want to give acknowledgement to the faithful service that Casey's done, that Brad and Sarah have done. Uh, we've been under great leadership, but we're looking forward to continuing that journey. And as we said last week, if you have a name or a recommendation um, for the nominating committee to consider, please let them know today. Uh, We're going to be meeting later this week to try to pin that down and and to identify a search committee. So we want to give you a chance to make any recommendation that you have. So you can find me, you can find Marilyn Butler, anyone on that committee, okay? Now that being said, uh, I think we're ready here. Are we ready? Okay. Uh, This morning, we had the youth leave uh, for Chicago for their spring break mission trip. And when I say this morning, I mean 4.30 a.m., which was really 3.30 a.m. if you're following me, Okay. And so we were going to try to FaceTime with them or Skype with them so that we could say hi to them and pray over them. And so there is Janae. That's really what it sounds like there. That's not, that's not here. And so Janae, can you hear me? I can. Okay. So give us a quick update on everything that's going on with the youth and how we can be praying for you. Say a word to the church. We're going to get to Chicago this evening and then we'll start ministry tomorrow. We're going to go to the Pacific Garden. We'll work at a couple churches to do a work project and then we're going to do an after school kids program. That that sounds great. We're excited. (laughs) Well, hey, we want to pray over you, so please let the children, uh, the youth, sorry, the youth know uh, that we care for them, we love them, and church, if you don't mind bowing your heads, let's pray over them as they go on their journey. Father, we love you. We're grateful for these wonderful students. We're grateful for the faithful leadership of Janae and Caroline and Charles and and many others that are going to help make this a meaningful week. We pray that you would go before them 
Continue to grant them safety today and allow our church to continue to lift them up in the spirit of prayer as they seek to make you known in the city of Chicago. And so let them be effective and according to your spirit and according to your power. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we love you guys. Y'all have fun, but not too much fun, okay? <laughs> awesome. All right, so be praying for them uh, this week as they're in Chicago. A uh, couple other announcements. Let me have Miles Barron come on up with your family. So my friend Miles here has made a decision to make Jesus his Lord and his Savior. And so we want to celebrate that decision today. So obviously we'll be uh, visiting with Miles and talk to him a little bit more about what the next steps are in terms of baptism and things of that sort, but we wanna celebrate that decision. And as I just like to affirm people that make those decisions today, uh, that if you would acknowledge this decision that Miles has made and be in the church that will support him and continue to shepherd him and what it means to follow Jesus, would you do so by saying amen? Amen. Amen. Miles, I'm gonna ask you to stand up here with your family and then I'm gonna ask all these people to come by and give you a high five when it's all said and done. Is that cool? Okay, can you give good high fives? Let me see. Ouch. Okay, good. All right, y'all. It's been a good day. Why don't we stand together, join hands, and sing our sending song? It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Have a great rest of your day. Amen.